0: With a time machine out
1: of a DeLorean. This is the stupid cancer show. That's hot.
0: People seem to
3: like me because I am polite and I'm rarely late
1: And now the host of the Stupid Cancer Show, Matthew Zachary
3: Monday, February 15th, happy post-Valentine's Day And welcome to the Stupid Cancer Show, the voice of young adults with cancer Got cancer under 40? Socks, huh? Well, get busy living because the stupid cancer show is here to change the world one chemo infusion at a time. Tonight's show: Cancerpreneurs, featuring the likes of young adult survivors Darren Newberger, young adult survivor of acute lymphocytic leukemia, the author of Let's Talk About It; Jennifer Benz, young adult survivor Hodgkin's lymphoma, founder and chief strategist at Benz Communications and returning champion from our first season in 2007, Marisa Marchetto, young adult survivor of breast cancer, author of Cancer Vixen, and founder of the Cancer Vixen Fund. As a reminder, this broadcast is a program of the I Am Too Young for This Cancer Foundation, one of the nation's leading grassroots advocates for nearly 5 million young adult survivors and co-survivors affected by stupid cancer. On the web at i2y.com, we're bringing the cause of cancer under 40, to the national spotlight and sticking it to a system that's ignored us for far too long. Why? Because survival rates and quality of life in young adults have not improved in 30 years. And because remission, is no excuse for cure, and survivorship is all that matters.
0: So hello, my
3: friends. Once again, welcome to yet another fun-filled and exciting romp through the hay on tonight's. Stupid Cancer Show and a Stupid Cancer Welcome to all of our first time listeners here on the Blog Talk Radio Network, broadcasting live from the Chemo Deck, our fabulous studio in downtown Manhattan. I am Matthew Zachary, a 14 year young adult pediatric brain cancer survivor, joining us. In the studio tonight, our chief cancer anarchist,
4: Jack Bouffard. Hello, Jack. Hi, Matthew. How are you? Wonderful. Thank you. Happy Valentine's Day. Happy Valentine's Day, Jack. Did you do anything last night? I'm going to
3: ignore you, which is what I did last night, too. Jack yeah. will be monitoring our live concurrent interactive chat room, so if you have any issues or questions with this show, take it up with him. He just might listen to you. And, of course, please welcome my official partner in crime here on the Stupid Cancer Show, hailing from right here in New York City, 14-year, young adult breast cancer survivor, acclaimed journalist, former deputy editor of TV Guide, and former entertainment news correspondent for the Fox News Channel, the lovely and talented Lisa
4: Bernhardt.
3: Maggie Zachary, how are you?
4: Hello, my darling. Jack Booth. Happy Valentine's Day <laughs> to you, my oh. dear. Oh,
3: my dear. We have, to that that a, we have to mention that Amanda Freeman is uh, not feeling well tonight. She's in the chat room. We wish her well, and uh, look forward to seeing her next Monday. We love you, Amanda. Get better. We miss her.
1: A-Free Ma, number three.
3: A-Free
4: Ma.
1: A-Free Ma.
4: Freeman, Freeman, oh, Freeman. Right. So what's going on? Nothing. It was Valentine's Day. Yeah, you had the funniest Nothing tweet indeed, uh, yesterday. <laughs> what, what, was your, what did your tweet say? Well, I had a lot of spare time at home yesterday. <laughs> <laughs> So uh, in between uh, gallons of ice cream and boxes of tissues, I sent out mm-hmm. a tweet mm-hmm. that said something to the I effect of up the fiddle. <laughs> yeah, that this is that yesterday was National can't Singles or Can't Get a Date. But like it was it was National That's People weird. Who Can't <laughs> take <stick> Articulation. <laughs> this really? is what we pay you for. It was such, so, but you don't understand. It's such a traumatic day for me. And he wonders he wonders why he can't get a date.
1: Right. National.
4: I try to.
0: Can't I try to. Day. But on
4: the other hand, women who stutter love me. <laughs> but it was national people who can't get a day awareness day. That's what it is. Okay. Everyone. So I said make sure you acknowledge somebody and then my Facebook page got like a thousand acknowledgments. Yes. What 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 color was your wristband for that day? It was actually uh it was it was whatever that that clear color that tears are. <laughs> it was that.
1: Come on, you're getting lots of chicks. The That's half fantastic. marathon, could, all the
4: ploys. Yes.
1: You're working every
4: angle, Jack. The half marathon. Yeah. Oh, come on. First, you, you, know Buffard, you know what? Guy. Yeah. You know what, Lisa? You know what, Lisa? You totally busted me because I figured if I ran the half marathon and passed out, I have a 50-50 chance of a woman <laughs> giving me mouth-to-mouth. <laughs> That's right.
0: <laughs> uh, so, uh, all
3: all right. right. We have no. to
4: mention two people that passed away this week. Um
3: one, Lisa and I both know, Randy, uh, Randy Rosenberg was uh, one of the founders of the Young Survivor Coalition for, uh, like 14 years ago, a real pioneer. I met her. She was a mentor and a friend. I knew her for a couple of years. Uh, she'd been battling breast cancer for quite a while now, and uh, we owe her a huge debt of gratitude. She's one of the founding mothers of the young adult cancer movement, and uh, we are forever in her debt. Randy Rosenberg, uh, we love you. We'll miss you. Rest in peace. Um, and um, the knack.
1: Segueing to, yes, uh, somebody, Doug Feiger, lead singer of The Knack 57, Lung Cancer and Brain Cancer. That was uh, news that came. And there we go. The famous sh- song The Knack, here it comes. Yeah. Classic bass
2: line.
3: You can't live without this show. Or this song. Or the show. or the show.
4: Hopefully. Our tribute. Doug
0: Figer.
3: You know, I knew somebody named Sharona. You did not. Yeah, in, when I was in college, her name was Sharonee, mm-hmm. so everyone called her Sharona, and she hated it. Well, wow. so we continued to call her Sharona. Anyway. Well, if
1: you had anything close to this, yeah, close to this name, Sharon, Sharonee, Sharona, I would imagine that you would you were yes.
3: addressed as such. Exactly. Yeah. So with that said, you know, those are two fairly significant losses this week. And um, I wanted to mention briefly, I had something here. We, um, we're we part of a new – all these things happen in social media. Read about it on Mashable.com. Yeah. If, people, if guys out there don't know about Mashable, M-A-S-H-A-B-L-E, Mashable.com, it is the nation's leading social media blog. Uh, we are partners with them, and they will be speaking at the OMG Con- uh, Cancer Summit uh, in New York here in May. But I, was, I read the trends every day and there's always some new startup that's starting something that has nothing to do with us, but it should. Finally, something started up that was fantastic and it's with us. And it's called StuffBuff. StuffBuff.com is an online widget-based bidding system that is going to supplant, not replace, but sort of complement eBay. It lets you embed things you want to sell via, via eBay or not. And uh, as a Public relations stunt to launch, we are the beneficiary for their first series of Choskies that they're selling
4: at stuffbuff.com. That's so not
0: That's to very be exciting. confused
4: with stuffboof.com, which is when people just cram food down my throat. That table, would be
1: right? disastrous. That would be yeah. the
4: jack, jack Taxidermy service.
1: Yeah.
4: Stuffed boof. Yeah. So I got a carbo load for this. So, next Matt,
1: month. tell us about how folks can actually uh, take advantage of this. Well, how does this actually work with stuffbuff?
3: I think you just go to stuffbuff.com. Uh, which I'm going to right now. Hang on a second. Let me pull up this page here. Uh, StuffBuff, an auction
1: site with a social bent.
3: Yeah. Um, okay. My browser's having a conniption fit right now.
1: Anyway, it's basically, as you said, it's like an eBay, but you can make uh, you can make bids, and we are. I'm trying to find the. We can walk people through it. I know that. Well, Matthew will say Matthew put it on his Facebook page. So anybody who has any questions about this, go to Matthew Zachary's Facebook page and, or go to, just go to Stuff Buff, Google Stuff Buff, and we you can hopefully be walked through this.
3: Looks like a it kind of, oh, someone's bidding on a Tesla Roadster. That's fantastic. If we get a commission and, off that, that, Jack's looking at me like, oh, you can hire me now.
0: Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> that
3: makes you so sure I want to work for you. I have no idea.
1: Anyway, that's great to be that's great to be partnered with them and be involved in that. That's a very there, cool thing.
3: No, it's good stuff. It's good stuff. I also have to put a special announcement out there. This is just one of those stupid, stupid life circumstances that happened. Um, Time Warner Cable, and I, like, <laughs> to explained Jack. I, I, this is off topic, folks, but it's just really funny to listen to. We live in such a world of of utter incompetence that it gets almost. It, it's a comedy of errors that these things happen. Uh, we paid our Time Warner bill, it was $172, which in and of itself was highway robbery. But we paid our Time Warner bill of $172 in, February, in early January. This was for the February bill, okay? Three weeks later, Time Warner sends us back a rebate check for $172. Two weeks later, we get a letter from Time Warner saying we haven't paid our right. bill, <laughs> right. and we're overdue. <laughs> and how much were you overdue? By $172. By $172. By
1: exact-
3: yeah. So thank you, Time Warner. You get one of these.
1: It's not even. A- I was gonna say it's not even April 1st yet. I I don't understand that. Just
4: ridiculous. That's, yeah, really funny. You're gonna have to keep us posted as to like what they say when you call them and say like you know what are you guys doing? I mean we're not here to promote or demote or or
3: any one specific brand or or organization. Sometimes
0: well, we are. But yeah, I mean well yeah <laughs> not outside we're, the
3: cancer world, not the yeah. corporate world. But yeah. I gotta tell you no. like. God bless you,
4: Time Warner Cable.
3: Silly,
1: silly, silly.
4: That is like something you'd have to try to do to make yeah. it happen. Yeah. How do you think Ted Turner would feel if, you, if he found out that they spent an extra, like, 80, 88 cents to collect that $172 by sending you a check and then sending you a letter saying it was overdue?
1: He's not too involved anymore, no. so we
4: probably wouldn't I'm, care. I'm not, yeah, he, Ted Turner's definitely <laughs> living he, on a boat he, somewhere. He's moved yeah. on to a steakhouse. He's,
1: this. he's down in Atlanta puttering around with young girlfriends.
3: There was another news article worth worth um, paying attention to about, you may recall that there was a woman who faked having cancer, so her friends would give her money, and it turns out that they gave her lots of money, and she didn't have cancer. But turns out she's not, end of the hiccup, sorry, she's not the <laughs> only, in case you're wondering why I'm like, like, I'm pausing over, like, like every in every other word. That there was a story that there are several other people out there who are also cancer fakers, and this is also something on my wall, and... I made a comment, I was like, let's let's all, what is it, let's give them cancer? I, it wasn't, no, no, no. it's like, let's chemo chemo their house. That's so like toilet paper their house. And I got flack for that. Like, I don't want to chemo somebody's house. Like, you would if they were faking cancer. Yeah. Anyway.
1: We don't really want to have them on the show as the fake cancerers. That's would be not, not a theme that we're...
3: You know, it's funny, even though you're moved over, Jack's giant <laughs> head is still in my way. I don't know how this is possible. I was going
1: to say Jack could scare you to get rid of the hiccups, but that's probably ongoing. Not good. Just look over here,
3: Matt. Oh, no.
1: You know what I thought was interesting, Matt, that you put on your wall is the New York Times addressing the question of whether bras cause breast cancer. Yes,
3: this is the latest thing. Forget forget about posting your bra color on Facebook. Just actually having a bra can give you cancer. Is that possible?
1: I think maybe it can give you a bad rash, depending on the fabric, but I'm not sure about
3: cancer. Yeah, what was the scientific thoughts behind that?
1: Well, I know that there was something that was connected to your lymph nodes and possibly cutting off, but that I, I still don't see the connection with actually cancer, the growth of, of carcinoma cancerous cells. Um, I remember that there was some sort of, you know, if, 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 a, if a strap or something is cutting into you, go to this piece right now and see if it's sort of blocking the lymphatic flow, uh, but that's not in line with how breast cancer develops. No, Whatsoever. it's Ridiculous. Ridiculous. So there's no there's no connection there.
4: Okay, so it's it only is for people that are wearing bras, not people who like go to laundromats and take them out of the dryers and take them and home, put them right? on their heads. No, it's not. It's just, it's just for wearing, <laughs> not, not owning college, them, Right? No.
1: You know, we should tell you though that, <laughs> that there's as a deterrent, we might want to come up with something that that could cause, other than utter embarrassment. But you don't seem to care much about that.
4: No, I just want to make sure that just owning them isn't going to give me cancer. (laughs) Or or giving one cancer. Or collecting them out of your friend's drawers
3: when they're sleeping.
1: We're we're really scaring people now. Yes, we are. All right, let's move
0: on.
3: Anyway, um, there was one other thing I wanted to to mention, which is, um, of course, I forgot what I was going to talk about.
0: (laughs) How did that happen? happen?
3: Yeah, because, I don't know, I had brain cancer, whatever, 14 years. And I just realized, actually, that, we're both 14-year survivors. We
1: are. And that's We're in the pretty 14 astonishing. Years. I never that's asked right. you this
3: question. What was life like for you in 1995, when Clinton <laughs> was president?
1: <laughs> Hell, sucked. No, yeah. um, what was life like for me in 1995? I was in the middle of, I was fully focused on my career. I was uh, very, it was kind of, I was all absorbed in trying to uh, make it in the media world in New York. I was running around town. I was interviewing celebrities. I was working at a magazine covering television. And, uh, you know, dating and having a social life as most people that age do. I was about... (laughs) Uh, And I was thinking about, you know, I was turning 30, and that was a pivotal time. I was just coming up on my 30th birthday. And, uh, you know, had a little something. I mean, my lump, I felt a year before it was diagnosed. And one of those things where even though I would... Tend to be a little bit of a hypochondriac, you know. You go to a doctor, and my initial gynecologist—it's nothing. You're young. What a lot of young people here, and I'm sure a lot of people listening to the show have heard. Can't, the odds are, you know, one in what was it for me? One in two hundred and fifty thousand. Yeah. If only I had such, you know, luck when I was playing the New York Lotto. Right. Uh, that would be great. But uh, no, there's the gold- a campaign for you. Yeah. To win the golden ticket, this and this one, mm-hmm. I wasn't so I wasn't so jazzed about. Uh, so I sort of said, oh, I'm being a hypochondriac and my doctor doesn't seem concerned and I'll kind of blow it off because this is certainly going to cramp my style in the, the life I want to leave here, And uh, like I said, in trying to build a media career. And uh, went undetected until a partner at the time felt it and was kind of startled and said, uh, maybe you should have this checked out. And I went a year later, and when that was diagnosed a year later, boy, I was um, not, in, not in a good way. Yeah, because I knew that that thing had been inside me and going, <laughs> going full uh, full throttle for a year. Yeah, wow. So um, I was, you know, lucky in the sense that all things considered, it was relatively uh, slow growing. And I was told at the time that I had, and I didn't understand it until years later, that I had an older woman's type of cancer. They said that you're you're lucky, you're thirty. Congratulations. Because yes, and I well, I've always been very mature for my age. Thank you. <laughs> um, Uh, And, you know, that because breast cancer in young women really uh, tends to be very aggressive. And uh, so uh, I was, I didn't quite understand that. And she was trying to tell me, well, the good news is you have what appears to be an older woman's type of cancer, and it was slow growing in that regard. Anyway, so it was, uh, you know, it was a lot to, and, and what was interesting was my grandmother on my father's side had breast cancer, never talked about it. And I lived with my grandmother for a year in New York City, and I was helping her make her bed one morning, and she was in a kind of grandmother kind of housecoat, kind of schmato you know. Right, yeah. And she was leaning over making her bed, and uh, I actually saw, just inadvertently looked up, and saw that she just had one breast. And I had always kind of suspected, but we didn't talk about it that much. And I, um, I saw that, and it was really uh, quite something. And I never really, she didn't, I was actually, Kind of glad that she had passed away by the time I was going through my illness because I thought that perhaps she would have been carried, you know, a lot of guilt that yeah, possibly sure, sure, genetically had cotton to me. But then I thought she would have been amazed at how much had advanced. That's you know, true. That, I mean, yeah. reconstruction, that was nothing even yeah. remotely possible in the 50s, and she was very young. She was 39. Right. Nobody expected her to live. And in fact, she didn't even know that um, sort of family legend has it when she went into surgery that there was a decision that had to be made mid-surgery that I think my grandfather had to sign off on, that we need to remove the breast. I don't even think that she knew that she was going to wake up with wow, just one breast. that's crazy. It was devastating. Anyway, so that was um, just a little bit of a long answer to your question wow. of what life was like. I
3: actually remember what I forgot okay. before. Okay. And we've got to get to the news, but this is real quick. I got an email on Facebook from someone today who is a listener. Um, I'll pull up her name in a second. No, I'll leave it anonymous for now. She asked me... <clears throat> that she's getting a CAT scan. She has a young a baby, and she's getting a CAT scan. and The doctor told her that she can't go near the baby for like 48 hours after the CAT scan because of radiation or magnetism or something like that. Have you ever heard of that?
1: I have never heard of that.
3: She well, couldn't I know, go I near give the you the dye for like a PET
4: scan, your, your
3: radiation. It wasn't a PET scan, it was, right. a, it was a CAT scan, a CT scan.
1: And that she couldn't go near the baby after having?
3: Yeah, for like, dece- like, for like two days, she had to stay away from her kid. Wow. On doctor's orders for, for being whatever, not radioactive, but whatever it does to you.
1: We should ask a future guest, a medical expert, about that next time. We should make a note
3: to. Yeah, I couldn't answer the question. I was like, that. well, it sounds like it makes sense, but I can't really tell you.
1: Yeah. yeah. I'd, I'd never even heard of that. Yeah, it was I wasn't close to that. Wow. All right.
3: Well, uh, let's get to the news here and uh, move on. Here we go. Hello, I'm Kent Brockman, and this is I
0: on Cancer.
3: Just the facts, ma'am. Alrighty, during this part of the Stupid Cancer Show, we listen to Jack Buffard stammer through a series of special announcements so that our listeners know about a whole bunch of stuff you might otherwise not know about. And we don't want you missing out on free young adult special events. Like conferences, happy hours, retreats, scholarships, support groups, music concerts, and more. So if you have something coming up that you'd like us to tell our audience during this segment, please fax it to us at 877-794-6902
4: or email jack at i2y.com. Okay, thanks. thanks for the handoff, Matt. It's all yours, Jack. Head on <laughs> over. Head on over to events at i2y.com events.i2y.com is your one-stop shop for all i2y events happening nationwide stay in the loop because something could be happening in your neck of the woods and we don't want you missing out especially if i'm not going to be there we have some happy hours coming up in north carolina san francisco and new york city so definitely check out events.i2y.com we have some special announcements of note you can join team stupid cancer the nation's first running team exclusively supporting young adults. Slots are still open, so if you or anyone you know are interested in running on our behalf, visit team.supercancer.com. I'm going to be running the race, as we mentioned, and it would be nice to have a friend with me to drag me across the finish line. (laughs) And if anybody wants to support me in this endeavor, uh, I am raising money to support I2Y, so you can visit team.supercancer.com and make a pledge. Surviving Idol is an upcoming talent show for young adults affected by cancer. Show off your talent by entering your submission today. You can enter your submission by visiting survivingidol.com. The buzz is building around I2Y and the Leukemia Massolment Society's third annual international OMG Cancer Summit for young adults. It's being held here in New York City on May 23rd. Stay tuned as we are going to be releasing a lot more information about OMG 2010 over the next few weeks. February 27th, in Dallas, Texas, the Leukemia and Lymphoma Society is hosting their Lone Star Blood Cancer Conference, and our team will be there, so be sure to check it out. This Thursday, I am going to be in Washington, D.C., along with Tanika Felder of Tamika and Friends, Johnny Emmerman of Emberman Angels, and the dreamy Brad Ludd in our first descent. Oh, Brad. Ludd. Oh, my pumpkin. We are going to be there presenting a screening of the First Ascent documentary and a panel about all of our specific organizations. And, Matthew, I'm really sorry you can't be there because you are going to be hosting and keynoting the I2Y Insurance Bootcamp for Young Adult Survivors here in New York City that yes, night. Yes, I am. It's at NYU. And for more information, contact Matthew Zachary. All right, folks. Being that I lack both the time and the intelligence to share with you all the great stuff we have going on for young adults, I've created the Boof News Blog. Everything needs to, everybody needs to check out boofnews.i2y.com. That's B-O-O-F.i2y.com for the official list of all Stupid Cancer News resources. These include surveys, exercise programs, writing workshops, peer services, and fertility resources. And to close the news, everyone needs to head on over to 70k.org. That's the word 70, the letter K.org. There are approximately 70,000 people aged 15 to 39 diagnosed with cancer every year. For over two decades, there has been little or no improvement in survival for this age group. By signing this bill, you are supporting the Adolescent and Young Adult Cancer Bill of Rights to be established as a standard for care to meet the needs of this underserved population.
3: Sorry. <laughs> <laughs> okay, man. I can handle it.
4: And uh, actually, you know what? I, to finally, finally wrap up the news, we did have a new event come our way today. For the Houston, Texas area, our friends over at Children's Cause are hosting their 2010 Rise to Action Conference in Houston on Saturday, April 10th. So check out childrenscause.org, and that will be in the Booth News blog uh, over the next few days. And it's also on the calendar right now. It is on the calendar.
3: So i so. to Check Houston, uh, check your local listings. Yep. So...
4: That, my friends, is your stupid cancer news.
3: All righty. Boop news. And actually, I did mean to do this. We had um, surviving idol did send me a PSA. So, uh, not that your mellifluous, nuanced vocal tones weren't enough to saturate the airwaves with that was beautiful central information. You know what? I have
0: no
4: really idea what beautiful. you said, but it sounded like a compliment, so I'm going to take it that All way. Right, here, listen to this. Are you a young adult cancer
3: survivor between the ages of 17 and 40? who sings, plays an instrument, or dances? Then be sure to participate in Surviving Idol, young adults with cancer expressing themselves. Produced by Vital Options, this international talent search will inspire and nurture the creative process that's healing, expressive, and delivers a message on behalf of young adult cancer awareness. Submit your video at www.survivingidol.com. What time is it? All right, 925. Time to bring in our first guest. Darren Newberger lives in Lethbridge, Alberta, Canada, with his wife, Jalene Ulmer, young adult survivor of acute lymphocytic leukemia diagnosed at the age of 34. Fabulous. He's a young adult cancer advocate, inspirational speaker, host of Let's Talk About It, right here on the Blog Talk Radio Network, and author of the just-released book, Let's Talk About It, inspiring stories from young adult cancer survivors. And I believe I'm in the book. It is a collection of stories from young adults that were diagnosed with cancer between the ages of 15 and 45. Please welcome to the Stupid Cancer Show, the one and only Darren Newberger. Darren.
2: Hey,
0: Hi, you. Darren. Hello. Hey, Darren. How are
2: you guys?
1: How are you doing up there in Alberta?
2: Doing great. Weather's beautiful up here, actually. Go Canada. Go Canada.
1: You guys got an Olympic gold already. We do. Right? Just one. Is that right?
2: Yeah, we have one. One, two, and one. So we have That's four medals.
1: That's fantastic. It is. <laughs> Congratulations. Darren, can you, um, can you sum up for uh, some listeners, and particularly those who haven't, are not familiar with you and haven't heard you before, acute lymphocytic leukemia. Can you sort of sum up what that is and tell us a little bit about what you went through, which started with a simple cough, is that right?
0: Yeah, a simple
2: cough I had for the most part of seven months. started about January 2003. I uh, went to the clinic a couple times, and both times I was misdiagnosed, just having a cold. You know, being 34 years old, they were just essentially treating the symptoms, not listening to what I was what I was saying to them. And finally, uh, August long week in 2003, my wife said, I demand you to go to the ER and get a chest x-ray. And I went there, and they're going to send me home again because they thought it was just a cold. And I finally got a little bit upset and said, you know what? I'm not going to go home unless I got a chest x-ray. And so they gave it to me and came out that I had <laughs> a little bit of cancer in me. So the next step was a different doctor who that they can't treat me in Las picture it's a smaller city only 85,000 people have to wait for a call to Calgary and tell me what I had there. so that was Friday. So I had to wait for a phone call and finally I got the phone call to be up there on Monday and by Tuesday they told me I had acute lymphocytic leukemia, which is a cancer of the blood and bone marrow.
1: Right, Wow. And you had a pretty intense course of treatment, is that right?
2: Yeah I did it was uh, in, I was in treatment for two years straight so I spent the first five months. Uh, in the hospital from Calgary, so essentially I got treated for 32 days straight, five
1: um, months five months straight in the hospital. So
2: there was a break, about a week break in between. Okay. So I had 32 days straight of treatment, to send me home. Gotcha. There was no chemo, and go back there for five months. And I, I finished the five months off with uh, spinals and brain radiation. Wow. Oh, is that all? That's it. Yeah.
1: <laughs> <Good>. <laughs> wow. And you're a you're a baseball coach, is that right?
2: Yeah, I was actually. I, I was doing that a lot and uh, throughout. I was quite successful. It was, Coaching in Saskatchewan, and I did uh, junior guys, which is like the age of 18 to 21, and we've been uh, provincial, like you guys have states, we have provinces, provincial champion, uh, Western Canadian champion, I've been a national champion. So I had good success. I had a good group of people with me. That's the most important thing. So, so
1: you, were, you were coaching at the time you were diagnosed?
2: I was not coaching. We just moved okay. to Alberta, actually. I see. Yeah.
3: Alberta's the one that looks like Nevada, right? <laughs> yes. Okay.
2: But not as hot.
3: Except yeah. Nevada's <laughs> a state, right?
2: <laughs> That's right.
4: Well, we don't want to get involved with conversations about Nanavut. <laughs> no, <laughs> I No. Darren, I just want to say it's weird that you would find kids in Saskatchewan that were doing something other than playing hockey.
2: It, it is weird. And actually, right now I'm, I'm a fundraiser for a baseball academy in a small town of 1,100, 1,100 people. And this past June draft, we had four kids draft in the major league draft.
1: That's fantastic.
2: One kid went in the sixth round of the Phillies, signed for 300000 bucks. Pretty awesome.
1: Wow. I was actually, you know, I was at the uh, game winning when Joe Carter hit the home run for the Toronto Blue Jays against the Philadelphia Phillies in Toronto and oh, won the World Series. I was at that game.
4: That was 1993.
2: That I was actually w- in a bar, probably falling over.
1: And I was, I was amazed. I felt like I was at the opera. You sit in the stadium in Toronto watching baseball. You could eat off the floors. They're so clean. The people yeah. are so polite. And we were like the drunk, ugly Americans there. Um, but what it, uh, I don't know. In fact, then you could get you
4: could get a dollar fifty for an American dollar. That's right.
1: That's that's right. That's how I was able to scout it and afford <laughs> to go to the game. Um, so Darren, tell us about how you came upon all your. It looks like you used social media and various and found folks on the web and just how did you kind of corral? Is it fifty that you have in the book? Forty or fifty stories of young adults with cancer?
2: Yeah, forty stories. Essentially, I had a plan. I want. I was trying to get uh, you know a guy and a girl from each age, and that was difficult. So it took me just a lot, of, like you know a lot of through I to I, and I had Planet cancer and and young adult cancer camp up here with Jeff Eaton, just got together and
4: sent out emails Jeff.
2: and that kind of stuff. Yeah, Jeff's a great guy.
3: All nine foot eleven of him.
2: Yeah, he looks like the lead singer from Midnight Oil, but the uh, <laughs> <laughs> so I finally got the the stories that I wanted, and you know I, was, I essentially I'm touching on every type of cancer the young adult will. Probably face like the main ones, anyways. I'm not going to get into like all the different kind of cancers we have, but there, there's breast, there's brain, there's lymphomas, leukemia, there's cervical. So, if a person is newly diagnosed, and there's a pretty good chance they're going to have a story they can read, they can relate to, and, and give that person, you know, a great uh, jolt of hope and inspiration that here's people that have been there, kind of got the t shirt, done the whole thing, and you can get through this too. So, it's, it's a great read. And, Matt, I don't know if you got your book or not yet, but I sent those things out last week. So hopefully, man, I hope you
3: got it. I haven't gotten it yet, but I am looking forward to it. From yeah. the people that uh, I've been getting, you know, not to, you know, uh, I can't even think it. My brain just shut down. Not to, uh, you know, make you feel, not to make your head too big, but I've been getting a lot of emails from people who've gotten the book and have read my story in it. Yeah. And um, they're like, I know you're in this book. This is a great book. It's like I, you're getting a lot of good feedback from around the, uh, around yeah. the country.
2: I mean, all I wanted to do was just, because when I was, in, I was in the hospital, somebody bought me Lance's book, It's Not About the Blake, and I read that, and I thought, man, that, that, it really inspired me that this guy, even though he's, like, not even quite human, but, you know, he went through all this and went out and won seven tour de France. I thought, holy shit, you know, if I can, it would be so great to have these stories, but just normal folk like us, you know, like, that have been through this.
0: Normal folk.
2: <laughs> <laughs> you know what I mean, though? People Darren, the land. Yeah,
1: Darren, did you did you interview them? Did you have them write things on their own? What was the process? How you got people to open up and tell their stories?
2: Well, it was, it was difficult at first. People, right away, people were like, oh yeah, I'm all over that. I want to do it. And of course, you can weed out quite a few because you have timelines and stuff like that. So I wanted their stories in a word Microsoft Word document, uh, 5,000 word max, and I have them like timelines. And you know, to get the 40 stories, it took a lot. Took me almost two years to get all the stories. And then I would look at them and read them. If I had what some people gave me a story that was like you know I had cancer and and it sucked and I really you know really f and hate cancer and that was it like so I can't put that in a book that's not going to help anybody we all know that it sucks and we all f and hate it but there were some really uh, in depth stories about people like being just real like it's their written word I didn't change anything other than some spelling and some text just to make it you know edit it that way but it's their word you can feel their emotion you can we all know what it's like to hear the words you have cancer and it just it really walks through their whole right from their life pre-cancer, to diagnosis them to how they're kicking ass today. So it's a really great book.
3: That's fantastic. Yeah, I have to say one quick thing. Um, when I first got into advocacy, and you know, I wasn't versed in all the different types of cancers that were out there, and I didn't know what ALL was, uh, outside of detergent perhaps, but I can tell you that the very first time I asked somebody what they had and they wrote back, ALL, I was like, you had all cancers?
0: Yeah. <laughs> Like, it's you're not funny,
3: a, but it's funny, you know? Yeah, I is. had no idea.
0: It
2: is. Actually, AOL is it's the most common type of cancer in kids. And what they've done now through all the research and, and things with this type of cancer, they say that a kid has a very strong chance of a cure. I, mean, I don't like the word cure, but anyways, they say that we're a strong uh, chance to cure with treatments. So occasionally, it'll occur in adults where the prognosis isn't as, isn't as uh strong, right? So that you know, Matt, you and know, I talked about the cure and the and the remission, that kind of stuff, and it's really it's all about living your life and it, i cure, sure, why not? But I, I hate that word, so let's just live our lives and don't worry about chasing the cures.
3: Well the issue sorry to interrupt please. but the, the issue of cure in in pediatric leukemia is like these children are actually cured in the sense of like the medical term. They are most likely to be disease free for at least twenty years. Um, to the tune of like 93 to 95%. Um, However, where the word cure seems to wear away for for me and for Lisa and the Young Adult Movement is that remission and being disease-free is not cure.
2: No. And
3: and that there are significant long-term consequences of being cured when you have ALL, when you're in your single-digit or teenage years. So we're on the same page as you with that.
2: Yeah, definitely. And, I mean, I've met a lot of kids, you know, just I used to work at the Canadian Cancer Society you know that and at events, and I have kids that, you know, would say, oh, I had the same type of cancer you have. And, and you know what, even though, because it's a long haul to get through that. Like, it's two years of treatment for kids. It can be two and a half years uh, if you don't have to have a bone marrow transplant. And, I mean, it's just, it's a long haul. And all that chemo and stuff, sure, it cured them. But if you look at those kids, they're smaller, and they just, you know, they're never going to have children. It's just, it's horrible. It's horrible.
1: Tell us Darren about since we're obviously in the throes of such a healthcare debate here, in Canada, where you have an entirely different system and as a young adult, what was what were your medical expenses like and how much and what was covered and how was how was navigating all of that for you?
2: Well, navigating for me was pretty simple because up here we uh we pay monthly in Alberta, so it's like eighty five bucks for my wife and I and that covered all of my treatments.
1: That so, covered I mean, everything.
2: Yeah. And, and you had two years life. of intense treatment. Oh, yeah. yeah. At eighty
1: five bucks a month.
2: Yeah. All I, the only I have to pay for is if I needed to buy some Zofran for like nausea and that kind of stuff as like wasn't covered by our health plan. But my wife looked at my chart when I was about a month and a half in and just you know, I being an inpatient and that kind of stuff. And it was hundred and seventy five thousand dollars and I for two years, so who knows how much it would have cost.
1: Wow. Well, and it was uh and you did, you weren't on any waiting lists and you basically had the doctors of your choice, or how did that work?
2: Yeah, for me, essentially, they told me that I had cancer and I had to wait for the phone call. That was a Friday. Got up there Monday, did a test on Tuesday. Uh, Wednesday, I started treatment.
3: Yeah. Wow. Well, wow,
2: yeah.
1: And his book, your book is out? came out in the fall? Yeah, what's yeah, the website? It
2: came out in January. You can actually get it on Amazon.com, Amazon.ca, and my website, which is going to be doing a little bit of... Uh, um, work on it right over here, but right now I'll give it to you. I'll just put it on the chat line. It's http colon slash slash let's talk about it. dot, dot com slash. I'll put it on the on the chat line here. And the
1: book nice. is called Let's Talk About It Inspiring Stories from Young Adult Cancer Survivors by Dan Newberger. Well
3: we have, we have a parting gift for you Dan for being on the show and if you'll ingratiate us for another eight seconds. Ready? Okay. Please come back and join us again, Darren. Despite that, we love Canada. <laughs> hey,
1: that was actually wondering.
3: Lisa
4: singing. <laughs> <laughs>
2: One thing, Matt, if you want to give me an email, like in the next series, so your books does show up, because I want to make sure you get that. Uh, just Some people got their books, you know, some didn't. So I need to know who doesn't have it and who does have it.
3: No worries, my friend. I look forward to it. Take okay. care of yourself. Good luck All with right, everything. Thanks, thanks Darren. Bye. Darren Newberger. <laughs> All right. All righty my next guest to the beat Matt Zachary you know that's that's pretty close to what the bare naked ladies were trying to do with the Matt Zachary song
4: oh god you're bringing that up again
3: Jennifer Benz is the founder and chief strategist at Benz Communications a boutique consulting firm that focuses on employee benefits and strategic human resources communication Jen and her team spend their days trying to make sense of our crazy healthcare system is crazy I had no idea and the complex human resources, benefit programs, that employers provide for their employees. Jen started Ben's communications three and a half years ago after spending the first part of her career at Hewitt Associates, a global HR consulting and outsourcing firm, got her bachelor's degree in journalism from the University of Missouri and spent a little less than a year of college being diagnosed and treated for Hodgkin's lymphoma. Man, that's the best part of that story. That was 13 years ago, so we got a 14, a 14, a 13, nice. no, and a 1. <laughs> that would be you. I am number one. Uh, please welcome Jennifer Benz, my friend. Jennifer.
0: Hi, Jennifer. Hi.
3: Hello. Well, you've had the privilege of being here in this office and now being on the show.
5: Yes, indeed. I was there just a couple of weeks ago, and I'm going to be back in New York next week.
3: So oh, I maybe we can hook I up again. again. That would be great. So, uh... Yes. Talk talk us through uh, getting diagnosed with Hodgkin's lymphoma in your 20s. Uh,
5: well, I wasn't even in my 20s actually. I was only 19 when I was diagnosed.
3: Oh, so and, close.
5: Yeah, and it was right at the end of my freshman year of college um, in Missouri. I was getting like a puffy face and neck every morning when I woke up, and something was something was strange. So. Went to the doctor and, you know, said, what's going on? And at first I thought it was an allergic reaction. Um, gave me some prednisone and some allergy medications. And, you know, that kind of made things go away for a little bit. Um, but this kind of puffy head and neck thing kept on coming back. So it wasn't allergies. It was not allergies. <laughs> uh, so doctor appointment after doctor appointment, um, finally someone did a chest X-ray. And I think similar to Darren... Uh, as soon as the chest x-ray was done, it was like, oh, there's something there that's not supposed to be there, um, and that something is, a, you know, 8 to 10 centimeter across blob of cancer in the middle of your chest. Hmm.
0: Um,
5: so at that point, it was pretty clear to them that it was it was Hodgkin's, but had to go through several more rounds of um, tests and, and so forth to diagnose the
1: precise type. Wow. And so... So when you were, and then how did you, how did it interrupt your life at the time? You were you said you were a freshman in college, so yeah, did you miss well, a year of school? And how did that well, all the, unfold?
5: The cancer actually managed to time itself pretty well because I'd finished my freshman. Yeah, so considerate. I had I had finished my freshman year, um, and it was just kind of the early part of the summer, and went back home to Colorado to kind of properly be diagnose and start treatment Um, so I started chemotherapy in Colorado and actually went back to school um, that fall and continued um, continued treatments through the first semester and into the second semester of school Um, my treatments sound like a walk in the park compared to what Darren went through I had uh, chemo treatments every two weeks on a Friday afternoon I was kind of down for the count for the weekend, um, but by Monday, Tuesday, I was kind of feeling better enough to go back to school. So I took a really light class load and had lots of friends and family to support me, And but for the most part was able to keep a somewhat semblance of a normal life while I was going through treatment.
1: Wow. It that is lucky that it worked out that way. Mm-hmm. And so tell us about – so Ben's communication. Um, tell us really <laughs> what one on earth and employee benefits – Communication consultant, which is what you call yourself. What exactly it is that you do?
5: Uh, well, it's a great question, and something I've been trying to explain to my family for about a <laughs> decade. <so laughs> <eight. laughs> um, <laughs> most of our work is helping large companies educate their employees about benefits. So, the really complex healthcare, and retirement, and work-life programs that the employers offer. So a lot of our work is around open enrollment time, which is that that once a year period where um, people can choose their health plans and enroll in in other benefits. And then we do a lot of education around retirement plans, um, 401ks especially, and how those plans work, how the company match works, and how you should. And be people able can still get
1: retirement month. plans, <laughs> Yeah, yeah, definitely. <laughs> yeah. And so I mean I would imagine I mean particularly in this age I mean I you know know so many people that are willing to work for lower salaries as long as they can have good health benefits and a good package. I mean that's so critical uh particularly now.
5: Yeah, absolutely. And it's been really interesting the last year or so. All of the surveys and all of the research that's out there just makes the point more and more clear that people care so much more about their benefits than they have in, in prior years. Uh, you know, in, in a lot of cases, salaries have stayed flat for the last couple of years, yeah. while the cost of health care, the cost of other things has gone up. So employees really value their health care benefits, and they put a lot, of, um, a lot of value in retirement benefits when uh, the economy is unstable and, you know, people's futures look less stable.
1: Sure. And how are you uh, – do, do you also – do you connect your own personal experience with – professionally, or do you separate that out, or how do, how do you blend the two or not? You know, it's a funny question because
5: it probably wasn't until maybe four or five years ago that it occurred to me that it's either a coincidence or not at all of a coincidence that I am in the field of educating people about healthcare and have gone through really – you know, kind of crazy and unusual healthcare experiences myself. So I don't think I really directly pull in my personal experience that much, but it certainly helps as a good framework for what people have to go through and how complex our system is. And you know, as um, you know, an individual who's ten plus years out of cancer treatment, I have a crazy schedule of doctor's appointments and annual screenings and so forth, that I am constantly having to explain and argue with my insurance company about how and why they should cover those expenses.
1: Yeah.
5: And um, so that really, that really gives me a good perspective of what the average person has to go through to really fight for proper health care and I'm an expert in the field, and it's really hard for me, and it's really time-consuming for me. So I think it gives me really good perspective for what the average employee and really who we speak to in most of our communication has to, has to understand to be effective.
1: Sure. And do you deal with a wide range of companies in terms of sizes and businesses? Is it all sorts of you, or is there a particular niche that you advise?
5: We, we work with companies in every industry most of our clients are large employers, Fortune 500 companies, because they, have, of course, are the ones who have the budgets and the number of employees to justify having uh, benefits communication that's really sophisticated. But we're always looking for ways to, uh, to get good benefits information out to a broader audience and out to smaller companies in particular. And one thing we just launched a few months ago is a Twitter feed called Benefits Tip. So if you go to twitter.com slash benefits tip, that's just an ongoing stream of tidbits about benefits information. It's really designed for an employer to be able to use it um, as their own, but anyone can go out there and you know, get, get good tidbits of information about benefits and things that they might be missing out on. So that's one way that we're trying to make our work accessible to smaller companies who typically don't have the big budgets for communication.
3: Jen, we had someone on the show before you from Canada. Uh I'm sure you have um, a lot to opine about with regard to, you know, should health care be a right or should health care be earned or is health care a privilege? And, you know, having known so many people from Canada at this point uh, who have or have not had cancer, I still cannot for the life of me make an objective, formulated decision on whether we'd be better off living there or not.
5: Well, I don't I don't know that I have a good answer for that. I, I think it's really all about where you live in the U.S. and what access you have to care. I think someone could argue that, you know, if, if you're living in the Bay Area and you go to Stanford for your treatment for cancer and that's all covered by your insurance company, that's going to be hard to argue that, um, you know the average Canadian is better off but we know that that's not the average person in the US the average person in the. US doesn't have access to top- rate hospitals right in their backyard uh, and they they may or may not have access to the best doctors in their field depending on where they live so I'm afraid I don't have a great answer to that question either but we definitely have huge huge holes in our system in terms of access to quality health care and really need to level the playing field as far as what everyone has available.
3: Well, that's certainly fair. Uh, we have uh, time for one more question here. Uh, what role, uh, and this is something I guess we'll be talking about a little bit um, when I see you in two weeks, is, you know, we're a generation that is so online, but we're a generation that is so ignorant of, of healthcare care, uh, unless we've been through something traumatic. What role do you think social media can possibly play to either bring our generation closer to its healthcare reality, or serve the needs of a patient population that are our parents' age or older that may not necessarily trust social media.
5: Mm-hmm. Good questions. I think I think social media has incredible potential to educate people, whether or not they whether or not they're a big fan of Facebook or not. Uh, knowing how to connect with people who've been through similar circumstances as you have, that's just invaluable no matter what health condition you're talking about. And that's something that was certainly missing when I was going through treatment myself. Um, I would have had no idea how to connect with anyone who had a similar experience. So I, I think that is something that's so powerful about social media, especially at a time of need. But I think social media also has tremendous potential to just really influence a large group and really be uh, be a medium for for good peer pressure. Um, we know that peer pressure is one of the most powerful influencers out there, and I think social media in healthcare is a great way to say, "Oh, other people are doing that, and I can too." Other people are getting healthier. Other people are losing weight. Other people are getting their annual exams, and that's something that we try to encourage with employer populations as well. Wellness, wellness initiatives and you know, health initiatives within employer populations are so much more effective when there's that element of healthy group dynamic or healthy group competition. And you can find that encouraging and supportive environment to help further everyone's goals. So I hope that's where we see a lot of power in social
1: media.
3: That's a fantastic response.
5: Thank Seriously, you. that was a
0: really great response. <laughs> um,
3: well, all right. Well, thank you so much for being on the show. We'd love to have you back. Clearly, the issue of health care and human resource rights and legal rights is, is a hot topic, especially in the young adult cancer world. So um, definitely something we're going to want to talk to you more about. So good luck with everything. Thank you for being on the show, and I will see you in two weeks.
5: Sounds good. Thank you so much. Delighted
0: to be here.
3: All right. Jennifer Benz, everybody, from Benz Communications. And now, our last guest tonight began her career as a cartoonist in
0: 1994
3: when a character she created called She appeared in Mirabella Magazine, which led to her first graphic novel, just who the hell is she anyway? Three weeks before her wedding, isn't it always the case? She was diagnosed with breast cancer at the age of 43. Her glamour magazine editors asked her to document her battle with the disease, and Cancer Vixen was born. A story about this character was created and featured as a front page art story in the New York Times, and Cancer Vixen, the graphic memoir, was published in 2006. Please welcome winner of the Breast Cancer Research Foundation's Humanitarian Award, Marisa Acachella. Marchetto. Hey, Matthew. Hello.
6: How are you doing? Did
3: I pronounce your name correctly?
6: You know what? You're the only, well, it's Marchetto, but you were so close. Okay. I'm like, I can't even believe it. Most people butcher my first, you know, my name, Marisa. But I can't even say that, but thank you.
3: Well, I do my best
6: <laughs>
3: for what I paid. There you go. So I'm really excited to have you on the show. Sorry I couldn't be in studio tonight, but we do wish you well and health above everything, of course.
6: Thank you so much.
3: I'm curious to learn about your origins. Uh, I don't think I know any cartoonists, but I think it's important to differentiate Mm -hmm. the type of cartoonist work that you are doing from perhaps what people's general perceptions are. Is that a fair statement?
6: There are a lot of different types of cartoonists. I mean, there are gag cartoonists who do single panels like in the new yorker with a line underneath um, there are comic book cartoonists who do things like you know superman wolverine then um, and then there are strip cartoonists like who, charles schultz who did of course charlie brown there are so many different types of cartoonists and a lot of us are a combination we're kind of like uh, you know one from column a and two from column b kind of things and I do single-panel gag cartoons, and also write graphic novels. And I used to actually do reportage for the New York Times. I would tell stories in comic book form. So it's like a cartoonists are kind of interesting people in that regard.
3: Did you go to school for this?
6: Um, no, I well, I did go to art school. I went to Pratt, and I was. I didn't know what I wanted to do but I also drew these the women that are in my cartoons since I was like three years old. Fabulous women wearing fabulous shoes and uh so I've always drawn these women and I just sort of morphed into being a cartoonist. Actually what happened was my hair caught on fire. What? Really? <laughs> yeah. I I was I was in advertising, I totally forgot about drawing and and cartooning and I it was new year's eve I lit candles and prayed to every single higher spirit I could ever think of and I started drawing this character that I've drawn since I was 3 with a with a gun in her mouth with a line she was a little upset during the meeting and I was and I leaned in to uh the candle that I lit to call in the higher spirits to help me figure out what I wanted to do with the rest of my life because I had that epiphany Oh my God! That's what I should have been all along—a cartoonist—and my hair caught on fire. So
3: maybe they were trying to tell you you should be a Pepsi spokesperson.
6: <laughs> uh, yeah, yeah, exactly right. <laughs> oh my gosh! There's a story about Michael Jackson and the glove. After that,
4: oh, there is. Yes, absolutely. And that's actually what started his whole addiction to painkillers. Was that, is that true? Yeah.
0: I didn't yeah, realize
4: that. Yeah, because of the uh, like the burns to his scalp or whatever, they put him on the painkillers and the oxycottons and whatever. And that's how he started that whole habit, which unfortunately led to his demise years later.
0: Wow. So yeah, so
3: for the benefit of our listeners out there, many people may not know the term graphic novel.
0: Mm-hmm.
3: It's a very unique term in, in the literature spectrum. I hear graphic novel, I think, Sin City. You know, mm-hmm. I think uh, Frank, what's his name? Frank. Frank uh... it, I'm sorry, I think graphic novel, I think of like penthouse letters. No, that's not... <laughs> Jack Buford. That's part a
6: portographic novel. Yes, exactly. <laughs> um,
3: but that, actually, Silver told novels, me about that.
6: But, but graphic novels, they are different from comic books because they're actual books as opposed to, you know, like a 20-page Superman that comes out. Uh, I don't know how, how often they came come out, but uh, they're actual books. are about 200 pages long. And their are stories told in in cartoon form.
3: So you were forty three, diagnosed with breast cancer, and you had this history already of being a graphic novelist with a background in cartooning. Mm-hmm. Did you ever think to translate that into something re- related to your personal experience, or did you really have the glamour uh, managers there like coach you into that?
6: Well, I always. Everything I've done pretty much has been autobiographical. Even the single panels for the New Yorker—they're observations that I've had, or that things have happened to me, and I put them down on paper. Plus, drawing to me is kind of like a nervous habit. I—I <laughs> I don't, you know. So, having your hand wander over a page is a good way to get things out. And I—I I actually was starting to put things down on paper when I was going through it before they even asked me to write about it. But it was just good to have that deadline. And also, when you're going through something like cancer, as as your listeners all know, um, it's good to sort of, I say, practice the law of distraction. Give yourself a goal and focus on that instead of going, instead of freaking out about what you're going through at the moment, whether it's like a chemo IV, IV in your hand. I mean, I would... Look at a fabulous pair of shoes. I would wo- wear to like chemo treatments.
0: Well,
3: and we know each other through another fabulous uh, chemo warrior named Geraldine Lucas.
6: She is amazing. Who Love wrote her. a
3: book? We had her on the show. She wrote a book called Why I Wore Lipstick to My Mastectomy. I see a lot of parallels
0: mm-hmm.
3: between the two of you, and it's no wonder that she felt like uh, that we would be uh, BFF when we got introduced. I have to give you real credit for doing this. We have the Cancer Vixen book here in our office and it's one of the most read people walk in, well it's oversized and always sticks out, but like what is this? My God, this is fantastic. Oh
0: really? Thank yeah. you.
3: So I gotta tell you, you you get a lot of props Thank you. Uh, from the nether regions of, of not knowing they exist, but it does exist.
0: Thank
3: you. Um, how did um did you get any sort of blowback or negative feedback about cancer vixen? Was it perhaps were were people not ready? for that version of expression through survivorship?
6: Well, the first time it ran in, in Glamour, it ran as six pages. Um, some women, some groups were writing about the fact that I was afraid to lose my hair, and they they wrote and said, you know, she, she's got all the wrong priorities, and we actually hope she loses her hair, gets cancer again and loses her hair, and I just was like... Wow, that's pretty damn harsh. <laughs>
0: wow,
3: that's pretty tough.
6: Yeah, that was hard. And I was like, really, I remember shaking and reading that, and I was just like, that's terrible. I mean, but I mean that you do have some blowback. Not not that much, though. I have to say I still get letters, e- emails every day from women all over the world.
3: And uh, how many copies of your book have been distributed?
6: Uh, a lot. I don't exactly know the number but it's been translated into I think twelve languages. Wow. Yeah.
3: So what is cancer eviction in Japanese?
6: It's not in ja it's not in Japan yet, but I do have the Korean version and that was pretty cool because cancer I got to give that to Korean. my uh, Yeah, that was cool. I got the, I bad. got to give I gave it to my sister in law, so
3: so, and, and you, how did you get involved with the, have you been involved with um, many cancer organizations or just pretty much the, um, you know, BCRF?
6: I'm very involved with the BCRF. BCRF. Um, I have my own charity called the Cancer Vixen Fund, and we raise money for women who don't have insurance so they could get free mammograms. We sponsor, we've, we've actually sponsored over 600 mammograms and saved several lives. So that's really important. I do work for the American Cancer Society. Um, I am also on the Ray Festa Melanoma Foundation board. I, I do work for them. I just gave a talk uh, for them last week. I actually had a melanoma right after I was diagnosed with went to finish my treatments, my breast cancer treatments.
3: Congratulations.
6: Yeah, wasn't that great? Two cancers. <laughs> Woohoo! But it's interesting because I didn't realize that breast cancer and melanoma go hand in hand. Did you know that?
3: Well, breast cancer and ovarian cancer go hand in hand as well.
6: I know. It's kind of like weird. I actually did a drawing of of the Grim Reaper with breasts. you know, the breast cancer Grim Reaper. And then I did another. I had her holding hands with a flesh-toned Grim Reaper with, like, brown spots all over her. I'm like, see, they're like BFFs.
3: Fantastic. That's a great that is a great visual.
6: It's kind of creepy, but it kind of worked.
3: No, but I think it speaks to the way that our generation is really, you know, we're thinking about the issues from much more, you know, countercultural perspective. Mm-hmm. You know, we're not comfortable with the status quo. We want to create a, a visceral reaction from people through our being creative and and you know The blessing of not having died from these things. We're still here to, you know, rattle the cages a little bit.
6: Uh, Well, I think it's really important. That's why I love the fact that you call your show the Stupid Cancer Show. I mean, when I drew the cancer cells sticking their tongues at me, giving me the finger, that made me laugh, and it took the piss out of it. Right. And I think that's really important because it makes you feel like you could overcome it. And And laugh in its face.
3: Well that's a thing too like like people talk about like the well our first guest we talked about the word cure
0: mm-hmm. is
3: a, this arbitrary meaningless term that's just used for good marketing and fundraising and that you know your life is what you make it regardless and you know whatever statistics don't matter our our second guest which I saw you were on listening to we talked about insurance and the healthcare so crap that we're going through which is fantastic and I think that people that are supporting efforts that are not cure-based, that are more lifestyle-based and helping people live their lives, are are as equally, if not more, commendable mm-hmm. than all the research that goes on in all the labs in the country.
6: I totally agree with you. I just think it's so important that, for me, every woman, whether she has insurance or not, gets the best health care. Absolutely. And is also able to screen, get herself screened, because that's... What'll give you a fighting chance? So I absolutely agree with you.
3: I see here on your website that you're now working on your third graphic novel, which mm-hmm. is actually fiction for a change.
6: Yep, yep. thank God. Can I'm so happy that? it's not a cancer story.
4: Yeah. Well, these days <laughs> it must be a, a vampire that gets cancer or something. Right. <laughs>
6: <laughs> <laughs> yeah, exactly. Sucks. Suck Whatever self. sells. Yeah. Uh, yeah, vampire trilogy. um yeah i'm i'm really excited about it it is it was it's a book that's definitely informed by having cancer because after you go through, through something like that it definitely you definitely learn from it so uh i've been a lot less fearless in writing so i'm really excited about it
3: well i think you're a fantastic example of what it means to get busy living you've really turned uh, obviously a double cancer experience around cancer so two, nice two you got it twice yeah and um I, I think you're a you're a shiny example of what needs to happen more people need to take action and be creative and and sort of you know give cancer the burden and, and rattle the cage i think you know, you're i fantastic. think
6: it's great and i think what you're doing is amazing so thanks for having me on i really what's love your
3: uh what's your website for our listeners to go check out your work
6: Oh, it's marisamarchetto.com, M-A-R-I-S-A, M-A-R-C-H-E-T-T-O.com.
3: Well, now that you know we're in New York, I really do look forward to the opportunity to uh, break some bread with you.
6: I would love that, Matthew. So let's set that up.
3: You take care of yourself, and good luck. We'll be in touch.
6: Okay, take care. Thanks for having me
0: on.
3: Okay, Cancer Vix and Marisa Marketo on the Stupid Cancer Show. And uh, I forgot to mention that my wife is here in the audience. She didn't want to say hello, but uh, we are at 23 weeks, uh, heading up to 24 weeks this Friday and counting. No, you've
4: been married longer
3: than 24 weeks. Yes, exactly. I'm talking about how much, how much amount of time I have left before I
4: kill you. Oh, because you... you won't be able to handle anything because you'd be up all night getting spit up on and changing diapers and blah, 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 blah. blah. Well, this is your fault, pal. Don't get mad at me because you're, you're, of your lifestyle change.
3: Um... That couch, you're never going to want to sleep on it again.
4: No. (laughs) I'll have to move the wee-wee pads or whatever. Oh, my goodness.
3: All right, well, in any case, that's our show, and now it is time for our closing sequence.
4: Prepare to activate. Uh, I hear there's rumors on the uh, internets. You ever seen a grown man naked? And so,
3: to all of you, a fond farewell. Hooray, I'm helping.
0: You are a meathead. Oh, Magoo, you've done it again. That was so terrible, I think you gave me cancer.
3: All right, folks. That's tonight's show. I hope you had as much fun as we did poking a stick at stupid cancer.
0: Love.
3: I'd like to thank our guest, Darren Newberger.
0: Jennifer Benz
3: and Marisa Marchetto, Cancer Vixen. Next week's show, February 22nd, Patient Navigation. In our spotlight, Sheila Ulrich, young adult survivor of melanoma and the author and founder of Truly Alive. Josh Snyder, three-time young adult survivor and the founder of NoCancer.com. And Gina Cook, cancer advocate of Navigating com. If you've missed any of our previous broadcasts, check out the archives at StupidCancerShow.com or subscribe to our podcast at iTunes.i2y.com. Remember, if it's not stupid, it's not cancer. We'll see you all back here next week, my friends, live from the chemo deck. Jack Buford, Lisa Bernhardt, Amanda Freeman, Captain Stubing, and I wish you all a great evening. Go to bed Dory, Fokker out and open smile